Pray. What do we need to pray? I would ask you to remember on this day, 9-11, that while uh, so many times they have ceremonies and moments of silence, when you think about it, what good does that do? When we can take a moment and in the silence we can speak to the God who rules and reigns from heaven's throne. And this world is just as depraved as it was 21 years ago, just as dangerous, just as in rebellion to God as it ever was. And our nation needs a touch from God, just like always. And so I'm going to ask you when we uh, pray, come to the altar, gather around people, whatever you need to do. But let's remember to pray for our nation and to pray for those that we have elected to govern us and uh, ask God to give them wisdom. And let's also remember what Jesus said. We're supposed to pray for our enemies and bless those who curse us. Very difficult thing to do, isn't it? But for our church body, I know we could probably list a hundred names, but uh, I want to ask you to pray today for Bethany Trench. She had an emergency appendectomy the other day. And uh, last report I heard on her, she's sore, but she's doing well. And uh, I'm sure the nursery misses her. And uh, pray for her. And then I want you to pray for Michelle Trench, her mother-in-law. Michelle has COVID again. And uh, she was taken to the ER last night. She's back home now doing well, but we need to pray for her. And then um, I would ask you to pray for Nancy Hackett. Nancy Hackett has been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. It's spread to her liver. She doesn't want visitors or anything like that right now, but you can pray for her, and I'm sure she would love getting a card or something in the mail, but there's just a lot to process in all of that. So be sure and lift her up. We love her and pray for her. And then fourthly, pray for Lisa Anderson and uh, Lisa had been doing well after being on the uh, ventilator and then she's uh, gone downhill and Elise was just telling me that they have called the family in and are just going to be giving her comfort care so unless the Lord intervenes uh, Lisa will be going to be with the Lord before too much longer also would you pray because I'm going to have the opportunity to talk to her son, Damon. Damon is incarcerated in California, and he is asking questions. He wants to know how he can be right with God. And so uh, pray for me and pray for him and for that opportunity to come so that uh, uh, we can talk to him. And hopefully the Lord has him ready to uh, become a follower of Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay? So I know there are tons of other things. I don't mean to overlook any of those things because uh, the needs that you have, they matter to us, but more importantly, they matter to God, and Christ is praying for you this morning at this very moment. And so you're not forgotten, and you're not alone as you go through them. So let's take time now to pray. I know you've got a lot on your heart just from the things that we've said. So let's come to the altar. Let's get with people. Let's make sure that we're where we need to be. Pray for Sammy's mom as she recovers from having a cancer removed from her scalp. And um, like I said, we could go on and on and on with all of our requests. But let's just go where we need to go, do what we need to do, and do it for the glory of God and for the well-being of people. Okay?
Make sure nobody comes to the altar alone. If somebody comes to your mind, you might want to shoot them a text or you might want to gather around them or with them just to let them know that they're loved. Father, I'm reminded of the hymn that says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Lord, there's not a person in here that's not hurting somewhere. There's not a person in this room or watching online not a person in the world or in any church anywhere that has it all together and is not touched, hurt, and scarred by something. Sometimes it's our own sin. Sometimes it's the sin of other people. Attacks from the enemy. Disease, sorrow, betrayal, hurt, heartache, shortages, inflations. All kinds of things hit us up. And Lord, we come to you asking you very humbly to forgive us when those things take our eyes off of you. This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And home is where you are. We look to you. And so, Father, we pray today for all of us, first of all. We all have lost friends. We have lost family members that we want to see saved, and we're lifting them up to you now. We all have issues in our own life where we've been hindered, where we've been tripped up, where we've been scarred, where we've been messed up. 
And Lord, we use those as an excuse as to why we don't serve you the way that we should. We ask you to forgive us. And more than that, we ask you to heal us. We think, Lord, about issues that we face, decisions that have to be made in our lives, that we look at them and we don't know what to do. We may do the best that we can. We may do the best following the best advice we can get. But the truth is, none of that really matters. We need your will, your word, your direction, your guidance, and we pray that you would give it to us. All of us need hope. We live in times where there's so much fear and anger. I pray for the people in Memphis as I think about what it must be like to live there and that random shooting and that abduction and uh, murder of that school teacher there. I think, Lord, about the perilous times in which we live that you promised and you told us would come before the return of Christ. Help us to be faithful. I think about people that live in, in countries where the church is persecuted and what it must be like to be there. Bless them and give them endurance. We're all suffering to some degree. But Lord, our hearts go asking you today to help Bethany as she recovers and we thank you for her. To ask you, Lord, for Michelle and Chad and to bless them and we pray that you would heal them. As we think about Nancy, oh Lord, our prayer would be that you would work a miracle that would astound the medical world and be written up in medical journals, if that pleases you. But most of all, we pray for her that she would feel good. We pray that she would have peace. And we pray that she would know that she's loved and that she would uh, truly enjoy peace that passes understanding. And then as we pray for our sister Lisa, I suppose, Lord, if nothing was ever accomplished out of Mission 405 except her coming to be a part of our church fellowship, then it would be worth it. Such a sweet lady. And Father, we pray for her. If it would please you to raise her up, we pray that you would. And if it's time for her to go to be with you, then we pray that her transition from earth to glory would be peaceful. And we pray that it would be something that would be merciful to her as well and we want to pray that you would give her even at this moment just a sense of well-being and hope and excitement and peace and joy in her life because of you and I pray Lord for her son Damon and I pray for his salvation and I pray that you would work it out so that we could talk answer questions but go to the word of God and show him the way of salvation through Christ. And I pray, Lord, that he would come to know you as Savior and Lord. And I pray, Lord, that these things that bother us and trouble us might give us a platform to speak for Jesus and that it might reverberate throughout our community, throughout our metro area, throughout our state, throughout our nation, and even around the world, just like it did at that little church in Thessalonica. May we be echo chambers of the gospel, all for the glory of God. Now for this and all of the other things that are on our mind, we pray. And we pray, Lord, because we know that regardless of what a terrorist might think, or even what someone sitting in the White House or sitting on a throne, wherever they may be in the world may think, God and God alone reigns. And Jesus and Jesus only is Lord. And we pray you would bless our nation. Bring us to you. 
blessed churches and pastors all over the nation that are preaching even right now and all over the world may Christ be honored and glorified for it's in Jesus name we pray amen well we are in 1st Thessalonians and we are in the second chapter and we're going to be picking up in verse 13 and uh, when I was reading this went over it and over it and over it and thought about different ways to approach it making sure that I understood it to the best of my ability so I could share it with you and uh, the Lord brought an old hymn to mind blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love and I thought about that the ties that bind and then as I was looking down through this I thought about the ties that bound or were binding Paul and the Thessalonians together. And they're the same ones that bind us together in Christian love. And Christians all over the world are bound together by these same things. And so if you'll read together with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 13 through 16. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. For you brethren became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now when I looked at what Paul had to say, I mean, you could spend a lot of time talking about that last part, couldn't you? But I want to focus on the principles and the general things that are spoken of here because they speak to a church, a church like ours, even in 21st century America. And even though Paul had only been with them about a month, he loved them. And you can tell that. And they returned his love. And Michael Horton, um, White Horse Inn and that type of thing, if you've ever read any of his books or uh, maybe seen his website or any of that. He made a statement that says, A church is not a group of friends you've picked. It's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for you. So I want you to think about that. You didn't come here and you didn't become a part of this church, even though it may have been because somebody invited you or because you knew somebody here. But if God has called you to be a part of this church then these are the people all around you this morning that God has picked for you, not merely as friends, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. Somebody said you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. And uh, the Lord has 
picked these people, all of us together, to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That was the feeling and the thought and the understanding, all of those go together, that Paul had about the Thessalonian believers. Were all of them as close to him as Timothy and Silas were? Probably not. But at the same time, he understood who he was to them and who they were to him. And that's something that we need to understand today. This isn't just a club. This isn't just a voluntary association that we have. This is something we are called to. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he made the statement, For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then he says, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing. It all kind of ties together. And so what he has been talking about makes Paul thankful. And what he is starting to talk about, it just does more of the same. And it's a mutual thankfulness, I think, as you read through this letter. They were thankful for Paul because he brought the gospel to them. And Paul was thankful to them because after all of the things that had happened to Paul before and the other things that would happen, this was a bright spot. This was a bright spot in his life. And they were an exemplary church and something that he loved talking about because it illustrated and it displayed, of course, the very power of God. These were pagans who turned from idols to worship the true and the living God. So what were these ties that bound them together? Well, the first one he tells us is respect and obedience to the Bible. Respect for and obedience to the Bible. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You welcomed it. Well, that's the first sign of somebody that loves God. They don't endure the word. They welcome the word. They crave the word. They are hungry for the word. It's kind of like when you wake up at grandma's house on Thanksgiving Day and you smell the turkey. You don't endure it. At least I don't. You welcome it. It's, I'm happy when it's mealtime. And that's the way it is with the Word of God. You welcomed it. And notice here that he makes this strong statement. You welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. We are bound to the Word of God. And it's our commitment to the Word of God and our obedience of the Word of God. And I've got both of those things in that point because they're both important. It's not enough just to say, I have respect for the Word. That could mean you're just superstitious about the Word. People uh, put their hand on a Bible. And they may deny Christ, they may be living a perverted lifestyle, they may hate God and deny God and everything, but they may be superstitious about putting their hand on a Bible in a court of law and saying, I swear to tell the truth. Or a president may have a Bible, and that Bible there that he may be pro-abortion, he may be pro uh, same-sex marriage and pro-transgender and pro all of these kind of things and yet he'll put his hand on a bible and it was mama's bible or grandma's bible or something like that he doesn't know what it says doesn't believe what it says it's a superstitious thing about the bible 
In fact, as John MacArthur says in his series on the armor of the believer, he says you can own and possess a whole warehouse of Bibles and not have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it was different with the Thessalonians. They heard it, they welcomed it, and they received it, and they obeyed it because they understood it's not the word of man. This is not just Paul's opinion about something. I remember reading in, uh, I believe it was Newsweek magazine back in 1976 when Jimmy Carter, then running for president as a born-again Southern Baptist, when he was quoted in that article as saying, I do not agree with Paul about women and their role in the church. And I remember then thinking, how can he do that and say that he believes the word of God? Because if what Paul says about the genders in the Bible is not true, how do I know what John says in John 3.16 or Paul says in Romans 10.9 and 10 is true? And so we think about there are people who love to criticize the word and they're skeptical about the word and they don't love the word and the word is not working effectively in their life. It's not changing them. It's not sanctifying them. It's not correcting them. It's not disciplining them. Then what has happened? They haven't received the word of God in truth. But true Christians do what the Thessalonian believers did. They receive, respect, and obey the word of God, which works effectively, Paul says, in you who believe. Now, that's why it's distressing in a poll that was taken just a few months ago, not years ago, not decades ago, just a few months ago this year. And it uh, makes a statement here that 30 That's one-third. 34% of all evangelical pastors deny the doctrine of justification by faith alone. 34%. Now, these are not liberal denominations. They would be considered conservatives. These are not those who just say, practice this ritual and you'll be saved. These are the people that are supposed to be proclaiming you must be born again. 34% have come to deny the doctrine of justification by faith alone. These are our people, in other words. These These pastors argue in various forms that people can earn their way into heaven through good works. That's one third. Let that sink in. Well, I don't care what church my kids go to as long as they go to... You might ought to rethink that. It does matter. It does matter. Another 39%, this is a little bit worse, of evangelical pastors surveyed said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. Evangelical pastors who say they believe in the Bible, believe in God, believe in the Trinity, believe in salvation by grace through faith, believe in the second coming of Christ, 
Denominations like that, 39% say there's no absolute moral truth that each individual must determine their own truth. You know, I'd like to ask those people. <clears throat> My truth tells me that I ought to knock you out and steal all your money. Oh, no, that would be wrong. Now, how can you say that? It's truth for me. Feels good for me. It's right for me. I mean, how can you ever judge or correct anything or anyone? And you can see how all of this is affecting our society. <clears throat> if you're in San Francisco, go into a Walgreens and just make sure that everything you shoplift is $995 and they won't prosecute you. How do you keep a business open like that? Worse than that, how do you have law and order in society when you think like this? A guy in Memphis got on Facebook Live, shot and killed those four people. Well, that's truth to him. He's just expressing his frustration. How do you judge it without a standard? And if your standard is constantly changing and being adjusted, then it means you have no standard at all, just the whims of whoever's in charge. That's mob rule, folks. You've got to have truth. And the truth is from the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them in John 17, 17, by your truth, your word is truth. We've got to get to what the scripture says. And some of these people said, well, I don't know what's going on with all of these people. They surely don't have the love of Christ, said by people who slaughter babies in their mother's wombs. Something's not right about all of this, and it's all just the whim of whoever says it, whoever thinks it, and whoever has the power. It's time for the truth of the Word of God to thunder from our pulpits once again. But more importantly, it's time for it to resonate in the pew once again so that it is received, welcomed, and believed. Because these statistics tell us we're in trouble. And it's not just Republicans or Democrats. It's the church house that is <clears throat> in trouble. Roughly the same percentage, 38%, said human life is sacred. Well, amen for that, but is that all? While 37% said having faith in general is more important than in what, or more specifically, whom he has faith. Did you catch that? As long as you have faith, that's the important thing. Faith in what? That doesn't matter. Faith in who? That doesn't matter. Buddha, Krishna, Jesus, whatever. Just as long as you have faith. Man, folks, that means that the very gospel has been compromised in these churches and in these so-called pastors' lives who are not pastors at all. They're not qualified. And if they believe this, they're not even saved. And yet these people are filling a third of our evangelical pulpits in America. Amen or oh me? Mm. 
God help us. Number two, what was the other thing that would bind Paul to the Thessalonians? I've called it sanctifying fellowship. Now you can have fellowship that's pointless. You can have fellowship that's useless. You can have conversations with people that don't matter a bit on anything that matters. We like those. But Paul was talking about fellowship that did something else. Notice here they're identifying with people they don't even know. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. And they go, oh, we did? What was happening? The churches in Judea were suffering greatly at the hands of their fellow countrymen. And what was happening in Thessalonica? They were suffering greatly at the hands of their fellow countrymen. And yet they're unified in all of this. And their fellowship together, which would include the Apostle Paul, he was suffering at the hands of the people in Philippi and at the hands of the people in Thessalonica. And he was constantly being harassed and persecuted by people from Judea, wasn't he? Long before Rome ever started bothering him. And uh, when you think about that, it reminds me to say this. Whatever it is you're going through, we're all in this together. And that's why the Bible says on more than one occasion, the sufferings of this present life aren't worthy to be compared with the glory which will, will be revealed in us. So we've got to endure the suffering and know that it's going to get better and we've got to quit being complainers and whiners, which we all do, myself included. And yet the Word tells us, look, look beyond all of this to something else. Jesus promised us in the world, you will have tribulation. Get ready for it. Be ready for it. But we also find in the Bible something else. The apostle Peter told us that we, have, we go through sufferings which are common to the brotherhood. In other words, you're not the only one. You've just not been picked out to be picked on and nobody else. Everybody's suffering. And all over the world people are suffering. And you'll find people are suffering worse than you are. Now, what happens in this is we need some good sanctifying fellowship. It helps to walk through these valleys, through these trials, with the prayers, friendship, companionship of other people. Don't go it alone. In Acts 2.42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God we just spoke about. And right after that it says, And fellowship. Fellowship is not an add-on that would be nice. It is essential for us. We've got to be together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me, Paul says, just as I also imitate Christ. It wouldn't do any good to imitate Paul if he's not imitating Christ. But there's a chain that is going on here. There's Christ. Paul is imitating Christ and people are imitating Paul, which means they're all imitating Christ. It's sanctifying fellowship. Ecclesiastes 4.12 Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Like the strands of a rope, if they're 
taken apart and singular, you can break them. But when they're all woven together, they're very difficult to break. And that's why we've got to stand together. Benjamin Franklin told the first constitutional convention, if we don't hang together, we will hang separately. And that is so incredibly true. And it's certainly true in the church. That's why we are commanded to be unified. And Jesus in John 17 prayed for us to be unified. And 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so when we fellowship together in true, godly, sanctifying fellowship, the Holy Spirit in us is fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit in them, which means we are fellowshipping with God. And what is that threefold cord? Well, it's not you and it's not your friends. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what keeps us going. That's what holds us together even during turbulent times he never leaves us or forsakes us number three what were the ties that bound them together and it was just this whole deal of companionship in suffering that's one thing that we all have in common we have different spiritual gifts we have different talents we have different economic statuses we have different occupations all of these kind of things are different but there's one thing that is true whether you are the I started to say Queen of England, King of England now, right? Doesn't matter whether you're that or whether you are homeless on the street. One thing is true of all of us. We are going to suffer in this life. It's a fallen world. We are fallen people. We are imperfect and we are flawed and we suffer. We're sick. We grieve. We hurt. We weep. We're alone sometimes. All of these things happen to us and we need to expect it. You also suffered the same things from, uh, they also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and had persecuted us. In other words, Paul said, You're going through the same thing they went through but notice here he says and it's the same thing that Christ went through and the same thing the prophets went through oh and by the way it's the same thing that we have gone through all of us cry all of us want to quit sometimes all of us feel like we've been abandoned read 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul at the last of his life says I am alone all the others, no one stood with me. It's just a terrible thing when we think about all that we go through. All of us get sick. We have different things. And none of us are going to live forever. I have a great aunt that lived to be about 96. And she really didn't have many problems with her health or anything until the last couple of years. And she smoked from the time she was a teenager. Well, that's not supposed to happen, but it did for her. Don't recommend that you smoke because you probably won't make it as far as she did. But you know what? The day came. The day came. She fell. She broke her hip. She couldn't get up. She laid in her kitchen floor for two days. 
over a weekend until some of the people that checked on her came in on a Monday morning and they found her. She lived after that. She had to have that leg amputated. And then she died very shortly after that. You say, well, she lived to be 96. Yeah. And what was it, Prince Philip? Didn't he live to be over 100? My great-grandmother lived to be 102 or something like that. But there's one thing that's in common with all of them. Whether it's Methuselah or whether it is you. Everybody is going to die sometime. And because of that, we grieve, we hurt, we're lonely, we get discouraged, it's sad, and it makes us look forward to heaven, doesn't it? When a day where there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering. And if you're not ready to go to heaven today, you need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as the only hope of your salvation and surrender to Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Because that's the thing that we all have in common, suffering and death, suffering and death. No amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of publicity, no amount of titles, no amount of any of that could cause Queen Elizabeth to escape that one appointment that she had with death. And that is true for you as well. Hebrews chapter 9 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And you won't be able to stand that judgment if you stand to try to be yourself. You know, sometimes you hear about these criminals, and they are arraigned before a judge. You are charged with first-degree murder and several other things. How do you plead? I plead not guilty. You have the right to representation by a lawyer. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed to you. No, I want to uh, uh, represent myself. And it said that, those that represent themselves, they have a fool for an attorney. Isn't that right? You stand before God, what excuse are you going to give? How are you going to defend yourself? What are you going to say when you are in the presence of absolute sovereignty, absolute perfection, absolute righteousness, and absolute Wrath toward sin, all sin, even your sin. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Judgment takes place. You say, well, smarty pants, what are you going to say? I used to sing a song that said, When the harvest is ended and my work on earth is done, when the last mile is traveled, and I've sung my final song. When I've called to give an answer at heaven's judgment seat, then let the blood of Calvary speak for me. My only hope is Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. It's Jesus, and He was judged in my place so that I don't have to be judged for my own sins, which I deserve the full wrath of God. That's why it's so important. Get saved before you die, because you cannot get saved after you die. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. 
And so you notice that these people had companionship in suffering. They heard about the Judeans, but they knew Paul. They knew Paul. And Paul said that they were so much after us, they forbid us to speak to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. So as always, look at this, to fill up the measure of their sins. Now, if you're baking something and it says you need a cup of milk, you don't put in a teaspoon or a tablespoon. You don't take the jug and just put a dash of it in there. You take the measuring cup and you don't just fill it up with a few dots and say, this says cup, so therefore two drops of milk is enough. You say, well, that'd be silly. Yeah, it would be. It would be. And when it talks about the full measure of their sins being filled up, it is filled up, it is telling us that God is so patient that he is allowing it to be poured into the measuring cup. Poured in there, poured in there. It's not immediate. He doesn't just zap them right now and grind them into powder like he could. Gives them time, gives them time, gives them time, gives them time until he comes to the point of saying, when it reaches the line, Enough! And Paul said the way they are acting and living, they're not getting closer to God. And Paul understood that because he was a Pharisee in Jerusalem too. He knew this. There comes a time where God says, Enough! And the full measure of their sins are brought up. Boy, when you talk about killing prophets and killing Jesus and per persecuting Christians, talk about the long-suffering of God. They deserved to be absolutely wiped out right at this point, but they weren't. God is a patient, merciful God. But don't take that to mean that He is passive or apathetic. There's coming a time when it will be filled. His wrath will be filled. Take all it can get and it will, be, uh, it will fill up the measure of their sins. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all, uh, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now... They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this has happened that the word might be fulfilled which was written, They hated me without a cause. Fellowship, companionship, and suffering. Oh, folks, we need one another during these times and during the trials of life like never before. Stay together. Love each other. Minister together. Don't flake off. Don't fly off somewhere else. You need to be here, and you need to be in circulation. You need to be around the people of God. You need that companionship in suffering. And number four, 
you'll find that in Paul's life and the Judean Christians and even the Thessalonians, they left the revenge to God. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Whose wrath? Not their wrath, the wrath of God. It's what Paul said in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. John MacArthur says, Almost nothing can fracture a church where forgiveness is practiced because unresolved issues are never left to fester. So many times we try to take matters in our own hands. If you think I'm going to let them get by with this, if you think I'm going to stand by and be silent while they... And all we do is just stir up more and more and more trouble and ruin our testimony. It's 20 years ago today that our church split. 20 years ago. I prayed this morning, may God have grace on everybody involved, right and wrong. And may, out of all of this, may God take us and restore our testimony to our community for His glory. Can you say amen to that? That's all of us. That means to forgive, lay things in the past, and quit looking back in the rearview mirror, but to look ahead. That's why the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. You've got to look ahead, and we've got to move on for the glory of God. Corey Tinboom who was imprisoned in Nazi Germany for doing nothing more than uh, hiding Jews and saving their lives. She lost her father, her mother, and her sister. She alone was left out of the concentration camps. And she would run in from time to time after World War II, and she would see somebody, even at places where she was speaking, there's a guy that was a guard. There was a guy that abused my sister. There was a guy. And she would see that. Here's what she wrote. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, give me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, love itself. God does not ask you or command you to do anything that he does not give you the power to do. Martin Luther put it like this. The law gives us the command to fly, but no ability. It's the grace of God that gives us the command and then supplies the wings, the ability. Whatever it is you face... If you really do respect and obey the word of God and you look and you'll find things where you will say, I can't do that. <clears throat> Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit say, but I can. And that's when you yield. That's when you surrender your will to his. And that's when he works in you and through you for the glory of his name. 
<clears throat> if you're lost here today, come see me after the service is over. I'd love to share the gospel with you and tell you how you cannot save yourself. You cannot be saved. Oh, but there's a God in heaven who sent his son to live the life you could never live. Then he died on a cross to bear the wrath of God you could never bear. Then he conquered death, hell, and the grave and rose from the dead. And you can't save yourself, but he can save you. Child of God, say, I can't love that person that I'm married to. But he can let him love through you. Well, what about that person at work? What about that atheist? What about the infidel? What about the person who bows down to idols? What about the terrorist? What about the political enemy? You can't love them, but God can. It's all about submission to Him and to His Word. And you cannot be submissive to God if you are not submissive to His Word. The two go together. That takes us back to point number one. The ties that bound Paul with the Thessalonians. And all Christians throughout all the ages you'll find in these verses. And they bind us together as well. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we find some impossible things in here. As we think about the example of the Thessalonian believers. Who told them to do this? They didn't even possess a copy of the scriptures. Who taught them to do this? Paul was only there a month. Who taught them to do this? And we know that you taught them to do this, for you were guiding them by your Spirit in the way that they should go. <clears throat> Lord, what's our excuse? We have the Scriptures. The inerrant, infallible, eternal, sufficient Word of God. And we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we have over 2,000 years of Christian history where we can read about the Thessalonians and the Spurgeons and the Luthers and the Calvins and all of those kind of people. What's our excuse? And the only thing we can say is we have not been submitted to the Holy Spirit, which means we're not in line with the Word of God. Oh, Father, forgive us and cleanse us and unify us and let us be like the Thessalonian believers, welcoming the Word of God, receiving the Word of God, and obeying it because it's not the Word of man, but it's the Word of God. And then our issues are settled. Thank you for that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.